Well, this morning we are in uh, the, it's the 30th week of studying Jesus' life. Can you believe that? For 30 Sundays we've been studying uh, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning we get to a passage where uh, he's challenged again. This is going to be a theme you see over and over and over where the religious people come up to Jesus and they say, hey, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? And the people who think they know what's going on and think they have it all together have the gall to challenge God in the flesh. Well, this morning I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 2. This account is also found in Matthew 9 and Luke 5. And uh, let me read the text together with you and then uh, we'll dive into it together. So I'm going to read in Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 18. Uh, Mark writes this, he says, Now John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, his disciples, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, they said to Jesus, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now you've got to understand the context here. Do you remember what happened uh, last week? Pastor Stephen filled in for me last minute being gone with my dad. But two weeks ago when Dr. Rock was here, Doc Rock, remember him? Remember what he taught on? He taught about Matthew and how Matthew had this big feast for all the tax collectors and all the sinners. And Jesus gets criticized for eating with those people. Well, first he gets criticized for eating with them. And now he gets criticized just for eating. Look, they say, why don't you fast? And Jesus says to them, he says, well, can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, and if he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, but if he does, the the wine will burst the skins. And the wine's destroyed, and so are the skins, but the new wine, new wine is for fresh wineskins. That's the passage we're going to be in this morning. But let me just give you a little summary of where we're going. And it's actually, I'm going to read directly from, if you have an insert with you this morning, from that first page. This is written by a, guy named, by a scholar by the name of Bruce Barton. He writes this, he says, Jesus did not come to patch up the old religious system of Judaism with its rules and traditions. His purpose was to fulfill it and then start something new. Though it had been prophesied for centuries, Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth to offer all people forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. The gospel did not fit into the old rigid rigid legalistic system of religion. It needed a fresh start. The message will always remain new because it must be accepted and applied in every generation. When we follow Christ, we must be prepared for new ways to live, new ways to look at people, and new ways to serve. And this morning, you'll notice the title, New. It's all, what? New. It's all new with Jesus. That's where we're going this morning. But to really get a full context on the specific passage we're in today, I want to back up just to review again Rock's message because it all ties in together. And I believe this is all happening probably at about the same point in time, maybe the same day. So you remember from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13, if we back up, it says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. He's also known as Matthew. Levi says, Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and he followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable, disreputable sinners. 
There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That's an interesting note, isn't it? Could that be said of our church? Could it? If it's healthy, it ought to. There were, I mean, that sounds like a weird thing to say, doesn't it? There were many disreputable people at Wallace Community Bible Church. A lot of hooligans. A lot of messed up people. I don't know if I'd go there. But you know why that's important and why I would say that would be a good thing to be said of us? Because then it means we're reaching the people that, that Jesus reached. We're caring for the least of these. We're caring for the people that Jesus would read out, reach out to and say, listen, there's hope for you. And bringing them in. And if our church isn't messy, if it's just clean and wonderful and good, then, boy, are we really following Jesus? Let's get messy with it, right? And invite the people who are messy in, because the reality is, apart from Jesus, all of us are a huge mess as well. Well, there were many of this kind of people among Jesus' followers, but when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Reading from a different translation than than maybe you saw there, but I have come, Jesus says, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And number one this morning, and this is kind of review from a couple weeks ago, but leading into where we're headed this morning, you need to remember and know, and remember this for yourself, that Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. Jesus didn't come to save the people who thought they had it all together. He didn't come just to to hang out with them and and to be their friend and to minister to them and to bring them in because clearly they got it figured out and these people are never going to get it figured out. No, he went to the people who clearly had it not going on. And those are the people that he saved. Those are the people that he poured his life into. Those are the people that he ate with. they not just ate with, but had a feast with at Matthew's home. And remember, Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. And really what that ought to say is not the self-righteous, right? Because the reality is Jesus, when he saves us, makes us righteous. We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness, And now if you're in Christ, you are the righteous. You've been saved. Jesus came to save you, though. He loved you. Romans tells us why you were still his enemy. Why you were still an enemy of God. He loved you. So how much more now that you're his child do you suppose he loves you? It's incredible. It's incredible. He came to save sinners, not the righteous. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. When were they fasting? They were fasting while Jesus was out hanging out with the tax collectors, eating a Thanksgiving feast, right? And these guys are fasting, and and they, you ever fasted? How many of you have ever fasted before? Right? Yeah. Is it it a pleasant experience at first? No. So I heard somebody say no. I would say no, it's not that pleasant at first, because you get hungry, you want to eat. You ever get grumpy when you fast? A little bit, maybe? It, what, why, why do people fast? Have you thought about that? The reason for fasting I would submit to you is you deny something physical to enhance something spiritual. You deny a physical appetite so that you, were, you could focus on a spiritual appetite for God. And so the idea behind fasting from food would be if, if we would, we've done this before as a church, we may be doing this again this fall, but if we would fast together, some, some day or for some period of time, 
then the idea would be we'd, we'd abstain from food, and on this day we would fast. And, and the idea is when, when you're hungry spiritually you remember, or, or physically, you remember, you know what? More than I need food, I need Jesus. And it's almost like this physical prodding, poking you. Hey, pray. <laughs> pray. Spend time with God. You're like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Somebody's just poking you in the stomach. Pray. And, and just reminding you to Pray. And that's one aspect of what's going on here. But in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time, a lot of times the, way, the reason people would fast is because something tragic had happened. Either uh, some kind of sin had befallen them or, or some kind of tragedy had taken place or someone had died is often the time when you see fasting taking place. And they fast uh, both to enhance their spiritual appetite for God but to know his will, to seek him, uh, to... to, to to give all of their attention to spiritual things and to God. So John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. I don't know how long they were fasting. I do know this, though, that the Pharisees would fast. Oftentimes, rather than simply for seeking God's will, they would, they would fast for their own piety. And to say, hey, look at me, I'm fasting. Am I special or what? And, and they would fast actually two days a week, every Monday... And every Thursday, they would fast. So it's likely this is a Monday or a Thursday that Jesus is here. And they're fasting that day. And they say, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But you and your disciples, you don't fast. Do you know what day it is? It's a fasting day. What are you eating for? Seriously, what are you stuffing your face for? Why don't you fast? Well... What they failed to recognize, see, because fasting would have been, as I said, an opportunity to enhance the spiritual. To, to, it, was a, it was being desirous of God's presence. And what they failed to recognize is that God was standing right in front of them in the flesh. Jesus Christ was. So Jesus kind of goes, well, why would you fast? Jesus demonstrates here he knows exactly who he is as God and as the Messiah. Because Jesus said to them, he said, well... Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. See, there were, they would have understood this immediately, that, that Jesus was making a reference to God and to the Messiah, because it happens multiple times in the Old Testament that, that God uses this imagery of a wedding where he's the bridegroom and his people are the bride. And, and it's... See, sometimes we have a hard time with this imagery because we've lost maybe the essence of what marriage truly is anymore. And we think to be in love, to be married, oh, it's just, you know, it's this kind of, in younger cultures especially, no offense, guys, but it's true that it's like this, just this happy-go-lucky feeling, you know. And if I don't feel in love, maybe I shouldn't get married. And, and, and it's a whole lot more than your feelings, right? What is marriage? It's a mutual commitment back and forth to one another. When you stand on that day, those of you who've been married, those of you who will be, you stand there and you say, until what? Until death do we part. I'm committed to you. Good times, bad times, and everything in between. And there'll be a lot of all of them. And, and it's a commitment to those things. And so when God uses this imagery then, as he being the bridegroom and his church and his people being the bride, it's this imagery of saying, listen, you're committing yourself to me, but I'm telling you, I am committed to you and to loving you and caring for you. And Jesus was declaring himself here, I believe, to be the Messiah and to be God. And, and I think 
the Pharisees would have, or at least should have understood that. See, he says, when the bridegroom's here, you can't fast. You ever been to a wedding? What do you do at a lot of weddings? You eat and you eat. And then what else do you do? You eat a little more, right? Then you have cake and you eat some more. Well, if, if you think you get gorged at a wedding today, if you were Jewish and if you were alive in Jesus' day, it wasn't just like one fun afternoon or evening. It was a whole week of feasting. And the time of a wedding was a feast. For seven days, you would celebrate the marriage of this couple. And there was feasting and there was wine and there was dancing and there was joy. And you're like, yeah, sign me up for that wedding. And in fact, there was even rabbinical uh, rulings that, that you can find if you study some of these things, where those who are at a wedding, if you're, if you're part of a wedding, you're at a wedding, you're, you're uh, exempted, I don't know if that's the right word, but you're absolved from having to worry about any religious duty that would steal your joy from celebrating the wedding. So if normally you fast on Tuesdays, but Tuesday, it's a wedding day, Guess what? You don't have to fast that day. Why? So that you can participate in the joy of that wedding. And so what Jesus, they would have understood this just intrinsically. Jesus is saying, why would you fast when the bridegroom's here? It's celebration week. There's joy. This would have been the highlight of many people's lives that week of their life. Jesus says, listen, there's coming a day, though, where the bridegroom will be taken away. And on that day, they'll fast. But Jesus is saying here, I, your piety and your sadness does nothing. What you don't understand is I'm in your midst and you ought to enjoy God and enjoy me. And what I would commend to you is that Jesus came to bring gladness, not sadness. He came to bring gladness, not sadness. You, you've heard kind of the, the saying, right? Hey, are, are you a Christian? Do you love Jesus? You ever have anybody say this to you? I hope not, because it, it hurt. But do you ever let your face know it? <laughs> you ever have anybody say that? Like, you, you, ever, you ever show that you have some joy? Uh, Jesus came to bring gladness, not sadness, right? And he calls us to enjoy him. Just like in that day, you'd go to a wedding and you would enjoy that week. And I'm telling you, there would be joy. And there would be wine. And there would be dancing. And there would be food. Some of you are really excited right now, wishing you could go, right? Some of the husbands, I can say, you're dreading it. You don't want to dance. I see it on your faces, some of you, but you would have fun. I guarantee it. Jesus says, enjoy me. I bring gladness, not sadness. I bring joy. I bring joy. Enjoy God. The enemy would tell you that God is standing up above you looking down at you, condemning you, saying, you screwed up. I saw that. Blew it. You messed that one up too. You ever feel that way about God? Listen, that's the enemy telling you those things. You know how God really sees you if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've repented and trusted him? He sees you as his child. And the reality is, it says it multiple times in Romans, there is no condemnation. How much? None. No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. He brings joy and gladness. If you're in Christ, trust him, become a Christian. He brings joy. Well, Jesus goes on to share a couple other parables here to to illustrate this point even more. He says, verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. 
The new from the old and a worse tear is made. If you're a Jewish person living in the days that Jesus walked the earth, you would have known intrinsically, hey, if, if my shirt gets a rip in it, gets a hole in it, my kids uh, tear up their jeans on the playground, if, if I try to patch that with a brand new piece of cloth and then wash it, what's going to happen? Some of you know this today, right? What's going to happen? It, it's going to shrink. And then what's going to happen? It's going to tear away from the old. It's going to make the tear worse than it ever was before. And really what Jesus is saying here is that, see, I come to bring gladness, not sadness. I come to bring joy. But the only way you experience that joy is if I make you new. And I come to introduce what's new, not simply patch up the old. Jesus is coming to introduce what is new, not patch up the old. Not just introduce what is new, but but he says in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making how much new? All things. I'm making all things new. Do you ever wish you were new? Turn to Jesus. He makes people new. When you trust him, you're a new creation. Paul talks about putting off the old and putting on the new. When you get to heaven... You go to borrow somebody's old broom next door. They'll say, no, I don't have an old broom, but I got a new one. You want to use that? You go to, I mean, everything is new. Jesus is in the business of making all things new, including you and including me. And so what he's specifically talking about here, because he's talking to the Pharisees, he's like, listen, you're, there's some holes in your way of religion and your ways of doing things and in if, if I just try to patch on new what's going on to, to the legalistic system that you're a part of, it's just going to rip it apart, and it's going to make a bigger hole than there is already. And he says, let me give you another illustration, basically. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine's destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. See, in this day, if, if you were to make wine... The way you would carry it around and store it would have been one of basically two ways. Either in a, uh, in, in a clay vessel, which would have been really heavy, hard to move around, or more likely in a wineskin, which would have been cheaper and more available to everyone. And what a wineskin was, was actually the skin of an animal, of a goat or a sheep. And, and imagine that animal, and they, they would have totally skinned it and taken the hide and tanned it very carefully so that it didn't absorb any weird smells and make your wine taste awful. And they would take that and they would sew it up, the first side out and the inside tanned. And they would sew it up and they'd sew up, the, they'd, they'd sew up the neck where the head was. They'd sew up each of the legs where that was and sew it up the middle. Only one of those holes, either one of the legs or, or the neck, would have been left open to vent it and to fill it. And then what would happen is you'd pour your new wine that you had made into this sack. You'd cinch it up and then that'd be easier to carry. But that's where you would let it ferment and, and, and fill basically the wineskin. What Jesus says is, he's saying that I'm the new wine. Remember he says, uh, at, right the night before his crucifixion, in, in this cup is, is my blood which is given for you. It's the new covenant. Another new thing, right? And, and the wine, the gospel wine, is, is, it's, a, it's symbolism here of, of Jesus' presence, of the gospel, of Jesus filling us, making us new. And what he's saying is your old wineskin of, of, of your legalistic ways and of Judaism, it's old and brittle because it would only stretch so far. And what any person making wine would have known is when you pour the new wine into an old wineskin, what happens when wine ferments? How many of you, be honest, you've left an old bottle of orange juice in the fridge? 
maybe in college, right? You've done it, right? And you let, or, or even a, a jug of milk. You've let it sit there a week, month, two months, too long. Then what happens? You, you see that thing just, it blows up, right? Well, it's the same thing with wine as it ferments. It, it releases gases and it stretches out the wineskin. So if they pour it into an old one that's brittle and hard and used, what's going to happen when it starts to ferment and it expands? It's going to blow. It's going to blow up. And then the wine's ruined. The old skin is ruined. It's all ruined. And Jesus says for the wine, for the gospel, you, you, it's new and you need a new skin for this. You've got to put it in something new so it can fill it, so it can expand, so it can, can grow. And, and the reality is that the, the wine of the gospel is, is always new in a sense because it's always reaching a new generation. It's always reaching new people. And there's this intrinsic newness with the gospel and in what it accomplishes in our lives. And so I would commend to you then that Jesus came. He didn't come to, he came to introduce the new, not patch up the old. And the, the way that affects us as a church, corporately as a church, is there's certain wineskins that we've created in the way we do ministry. And you pour the wine into it and it expands and it fills it and you see fruit. And the wine is good, right? Well, over time, another generation comes along, and guess what it demands oftentimes? A new wineskin. Why? Because the wine's new, and it has yet to fill their lives and expand and grow and build the kingdom. And what happens, I think there's a very real metaphor here for us as a church, is that if we continue to always do ministry in an old wineskin... What's going to happen? It's going to burst. And then the gospel, the wine is lost. And it's good to who? Nobody. But in a certain sense, and the way I would say this is the wineskin is our structure. It's how we do ministry. It's, it's just, it's the container for the wine. It's the, the, the wine doesn't change. It's new all the time. But, but the way we go about ministry, the, our, our, our functions, the, the structure we use is going to change over time, and rightly so. See, every church, what they don't realize is, is their wineskin is contextualized to a certain point in time. Every single one is. It's just that some are contextualized to 1950, and some are contextualized to 1980, and some to 19... You know what I'm saying? And, and the reason I bring this up, and I think it's God's providence that this passage comes up as we're studying this over the course of a couple of years this weekend, is because guess what happens next week? Some new wineskins for our church. And changing the ways we do things. Is, is the wine going to change? Is the gospel going to change? No. And if it does, somebody better be rushing the stage, right? Uh, seriously. If the gospel, if, if we change what we're preaching and teaching about the gospel, then... We need to shut it down. But the wineskin needs to change so that it can fill and expand and into a new generation. So here's some of the things we talked about it. But really, next week is the week a lot of this starts. And uh, some of the things that will be happening beginning next Sunday that we've been talking about for a long time will begin uh, in our kids' ministry. You know, in January, we hired Pastor Dan, and uh, he left uh, his other career and came on full-time as a pastor at our church, and he's been working hard over the last, 
well, what's it been now? Eight months almost. And uh, he's been here working and planning and uh, picking up other pieces of ministry as well, in addition to his, his duties with the kids' ministry. But, but next Sunday is the day, and it's exciting. We'll be able to see the fruit of some of what he's doing. How many of you are fifth grade or younger? Raise your hand. Anybody? There's a handful of you, right? There's a bunch of you. Next week is going to be the coolest week you've ever had. I'm telling you, it's going to be sweet. You're going to come, and at the beginning, your mom and dad will drop you off, and and you're going to have an entire service geared towards you worshiping, learning the gospel. There's there's going to be music that's fun. You're going to, I'm telling you, it's going to be a blast. And if you haven't had a chance, walk back to that end of the building when you leave today and see all the work that's happened in terms of painting and updating things. And there's bright colors on the wall. Many of you have helped with this. It's going to be exciting. And I want to invite Dan to come up and share just a little bit. I know he did it at the annual meeting last week, but just a, it's a short uh, synopsis of what's going on. But as he's coming up, uh, I want to, have you seen the first promo video for our kids' ministry with Pastor Dan? I think you'll like this. Check this out. This is one of many that are coming. Which is better, bigger or smaller? Um, bigger. Bigger? Why is bigger better? Because it's more. It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And while we see kids, it's all about showing kids how big God really is. For, we'll just do another awkward silence here, just like that. But um, I want to thank Aaron Wagner. Um, he, he put the video together, did a great job. So, And also the kids and the parents who let their kids be in there. Um, I don't want to talk about the video, but I thought it was cool, so thanks a lot. Um, yeah, we're really excited about next week. Um, there's been a lot of planning, a lot of work. Um, there's been a lot of people just pitching in, um, helping with some of the facility stuff, um, helping just shoot ideas off of. Uh, it's been really encouraging to see the amount of people step up. Um, we are kicking things off, uh, launching things off uh, next week. Um, we'll continue with our nursery ministry from age zero to, to age three. Um, we're going to be doing some fun things in there throughout the year. And then uh, from age four up until fifth grade, uh, we're going to have um, Wallace Kids available um, starting uh, at the beginning of the service and, and through, the, through the adult service. Um, I, I love this quote, Josh, um, that you put in here from Bruce Barton. I think it says it well, and it really, it really kind of helps focus, focus me and help convey some of these things to you. That the message will always remain new. Message doesn't change, right? But it's always new because it must be accepted and applied in every generation. It does change. It does change. And we're looking at the generation now and thinking, looking at families and saying, Sunday is a very captive time for the entire family. How do we first get kids here and get their families here? Okay? And so that's what we're looking at. That's why when we look at things, it's not all smoke and mirrors, and we're not trying to, um, you know, jump through hoops to, to make things exciting. But we do want to make things appealing to kids so they can receive the word. Okay, and so that's going to be our focus. We're going to be doing um, a similar curriculum for, for both our pre-K kids all the way up to, to grade five. So families will be able to uh, follow up with that with multiple age groups in their home um, during the week. 
Um, it's all going to be gospel-focused. It's going to be very application-oriented. Um, so kids can not only learn the word, learn the truth, but apply it to their everyday lives. Um, and also, you know, it is going to be fun because we want a place where kids are going to want to bring their friends and where they're themselves going to want to come back. And hopefully, uh, if their families don't attend the church, uh, that they'll be coming. Um, We've got a lot of, uh, we're going to be, I don't know how much detail you want, but um, we are going to be uh, functioning under sort of a, a large group, small group uh, combination where it's going gonna, it's gonna to look very much like what we're doing, okay, just in a smaller form. Um, we meet Sundays together. Uh, uh, Josh preaches to us, um, shares God's word. We learn that. And then during the week, we meet together in smaller groups um, to build those relationships, to discuss the content a little more deeply. Uh, to learn to pray for each other. It's exactly what the kids are going to be doing, but they're gonna, we're going to be packing that in Sunday. It is going to be every Sunday, so it's going to be available throughout the year. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really excited about, about what's to come and really excited about those who, who are going to participate in that as well. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. And, uh, yeah, we're excited about it. And uh, he's put a ton of effort into it. And so if you're looking for a place to serve, there's a great opportunity there uh, this fall as you get going. Um, Just so you know, too, if you have young kids, you have grandkids, whoever you might be bringing with you next Sunday, uh, check-in will open up at 945 before the service. So starting at 945, you can start taking kids back and you'll check them in. And then after the service, you'll leave and go grab them and uh, take them home with you. At least that's the idea. Right? So... Along with our kids' ministry, though, uh, as a church, we want to be a church that ministers to every generation that God would give to us. So uh, beyond children, then, also we have students in our junior and senior high ministries. And uh, this uh, historically has been um, a strength of our church, and Pastor Stephen's been doing a phenomenal job with it as well. And uh, with some of the changes, one of the things that will happen in terms of a new wineskin for them is that it's going to move everything instead of Sunday morning and Wednesday nights all over the place. Everything's going to take place for our junior and senior high school students on a Sunday evening here at the church with junior and senior high combined. And this will help in a lot of ways. And uh, first and foremost, I believe, even in the health of our youth pastor. Um, He's been preparing multiple messages every week. And uh, because of that, it robs him of time he can spend with students. And uh, he does a great job with that, is very serious about that. You guys all got to experience this teaching last Sunday, right? You wish you were in youth group? Some of you are like, I'm going to youth group. Sorry, Josh, we're going to youth group next week. And, and Stephen does a great job. But this will allow him uh, more time with all of the students every week. Uh, the reality was, the way things were structured with our senior high students, he didn't have that formal downtime with a lot of them when they met on Wednesday nights, because a lot of them don't come on Sunday mornings. A lot of his ministry is actually outside of our church. And so this is going to give him multiplied impact in spending time just on an informal basis with kids, getting to know them, and then free up his week to do other ministry and spend more time with students as well, which I know is where his heart is. So, Stephen, if there's anything you'd like to add to that, why don't you come on up, tell us a little bit about what's going on. I didn't get any cool sunglasses. I'm kind of bummed. But everybody else did. Man. Yes, he took the cue. All right. But, hey, this is Pastor Stephen. There's a mic right there, buddy. I'm excited about working with uh, our 6th through uh, 12th graders, and uh, as we always have mentioned, the message is always the same. Uh, the reason why we exist as a student ministry is because we want to honor Jesus Christ 
in everything that we do. It's all about him. And, and the way that, that we do that is, is by loving him first and foremost and by loving um, other people. And, and the best way to love people is, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that makes disciples. And that is what the student ministry is about. Um, uh, beyond that, we really want to get um, every single person who comes connected in relationships. Uh, they're going to help them grow. Uh, peer relationships where you got the iron sharpening iron. Um, uh, kids just, just helping each other uh, to grow, to look at Christ. Uh, and then discipleship uh, relationships uh, between uh, teens and adults. And, and, and what our job is as adults in the student ministry is to be disciples ourselves, to love Jesus with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and let that love overflow to loving uh, the students that God puts in our sphere uh, of influence uh, so that they see what it looks like to be a disciple. And, and that's uh, where the good stuff ha- uh, happens. Um, so, so we want to get kids uh, connected in uh, these good uh, relationships. And then finally, we want to see, see growth. And, and we do that by just giving them opportunities to take responsibility uh, for their faith, to uh, begin teaching right now where they're at, teaching what they're already learning, because that really is kind of the core of what discipleship is. So if we have high schoolers, uh, give them uh, opportunities to teach their peers, to teach middle schoolers, uh, and maybe even with our middle schoolers. Uh, some of them have even started uh, serving uh, in the kids' ministry, which, uh, which, is, which is awesome, to give them uh, opportunities to teach what they're already learning. Uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up this year uh, that are coming directly out of those purposes. Uh, obviously, we're, we're kicking off this Saturday at 6 o'clock. And then the following week, uh, Sunday, September 14th, we're beginning our new uh, Salt Company uh, Sunday nights, which is going to begin at 6 o'clock. It'll be from 6 to 8.30 every Sunday evening. Uh, that's going to be for 6th through 12th grade. Uh, we're going to do some fun stuff, just helping uh, people get connected. Uh, we're going to have uh, teaching that's going to be fun, interactive, but also uh, connected directly to the Word of God. We're going to be studying the book of Acts this year. Um, we're going to have uh, music most weeks. And then uh, for deeper tracks learning, we'll be splitting up into um, small groups that are gender and age specific. Um, just so that we can really, really take advantage of that time. So that'll be 6 to 8.30 on Sunday nights beginning September 14th. Uh, some of the other uh, fun stuff that we have coming up this year, we're taking uh, a retreat uh, up into Michigan uh, for, for a winter blast. That'll be January 9th through the 11th. Uh, we're going to do another small bike trip this summer. Uh, that'll be uh, June 18th to the 20th. I think we're going to go up to uh, Camp Amigo. I've never been there before, but apparently it's awesome. So uh, that'll be good. And then we're going to be doing a mission trip within the United States uh, this summer. We're going to be going to uh, Chicago, July 13th to the 17th. It's uh, uh, it's called Urban Serve. We'll be doing uh, inner city ministry. Uh, we'll be staying on campus at, at Wheaton, uh, which is a great college. Uh, so we'll be uh, uh, kids, uh, grades eight and up, will have a chance to help lead vacation Bible schools with elementary students. Uh, we'll be doing work projects, uh, building homes, uh, serving the community. Uh, so it's mostly going to be a, a, a service outreach, but each uh, evening is going to be a lot like a, a student conference where we'll have uh, worship and a speaker, um, and it's really going to be great. Uh, I'm really excited about this year. I'm really uh, looking forward to working with our 6th to 12th graders.
Well, we're thankful for Pastor Stephen and Pastor Dan and um, all the all the ways they serve and uh, the ways they're faithful. And uh, we're excited uh, just to change the format of some things this fall and kind of reshape the wineskin, start with a new skin and see uh, how the gospel would fill it and expand and, and touch more lives and build a kingdom here. And as part of that, though, you're going, well, I'm not a kid. I'm not in junior high. I'm not in high school. What about me? What about me? You, hear, you feel that? It's, it's good if you do, because then you, you want to be involved in ministry. You want to be part of the church. And, and so let me share with you a little bit of some of the things of our focus then going into the fall. One of the reasons for pulling our kids' ministry away from Wednesday night and pulling it Sunday morning, among others, Dan mentioned, you know, one is to connect families then on a Sunday morning. It also gives the opportunity now for our students to serve in kids' ministry where they didn't have that opportunity before. But further than that is it frees up the week for more people uh, to be connected into a 110 group. And I'm telling you, there's one thing you do in our church. My, my charge to you would be get connected in a small group, in a 110 group. And the, the, the title for a 110 group comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And uh, Colossians 1.10, Paul's praying, and he says, I, I pray that you would learn to grow up in every way, and I'm paraphrasing here, but to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in all things, and to learn those things, and to grow. And you, you know how you do that? You do that by being in relationship with other people, and not being just totally isolated and on your own. I, I told our students a lot when I was in student ministry that it takes each of us to shape all of us, and it takes all of us to shape each of us. You've got to be connected in community if you want to grow. You just have to. Uh, for me, this was huge in the last couple of weeks with everything going on with my dad. You know who the first people I contacted in our church were from? And the first prayer request that went out, you know who it was to? It was to our 110 group. I mean, that, that's who we, we rely on each other for those things. And we love each other for those things. And I want that for everyone in our church. And here's, there's, there's a little bit, I think, of confusion maybe over the language or title of a 110 group. When we started them a couple years ago, because you'll notice in your bulletin every week there's 110 group homework. And most 110 groups, the idea is that you would hear the message on a Sunday morning. You'd go home through the week, work through those questions, which are either directly related or abstractly related in a different passage in Scripture throughout the week. And then you'd go to your 110 group that week, or some our group meets every other week, and you'd go, and then you'd study that together. And it would take what you're learning here on a Sunday morning, what the Holy Spirit's doing, and it would pull it out into the week. So it's not this disjointed, like, I'm learning about this today, but then, oh, I'm learning about that next week, and then that, and now I'm confused. What should I learn? How should I grow? If you're ADD a little bit like me, it's helpful to just have one thing to focus on. And not only this, but it brings all of our church in unity together, then studying the same things, growing in the same ways, moving in the same direction. Now, I understand there's some small groups where uh, for different seasons or some, some that just entirely haven't taken advantage of, of the 110 homework. Um, but, and you say, well, we're not a 110 group then. We don't do that question. We do maybe one of them, and only every other time, so I guess we're not a 110 group. No, 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 you're, you're a small group, you're a 110 group, is what I would say to you. And I would, as your pastor, I'd prefer that you use this at least part of the time as you study, because there's, there's reason for that, and we put effort into that, and are trying to, to grow and direct the church in a certain direction. But, but there's also times and freedom for you to study other things, and that's okay. And you have freedom to do that, okay? Do you hear that? And if you're in a small group... I would commend to you, you're in a 110 group. 
And here's what a 110 group is. There's four pillars of a 110 group. So think of your small group and find out, do we do these things? Do you study God's word together? That's number one. Do you study God's word together? That's pillar number one. Do you support one another? When when trials hit, when things happen, do you support one another? That's a second pillar. Do you share life together? Do you have friends in your 110 group? I hope so. Do Do you share life together? And then the fourth one, and this may be the one that you haven't done well at, and honestly, our group hasn't done well at, but this is going to be a focus for us this year, is mission. The idea is that your 110 group would be a group of missionaries to the people in your culture. See, some people wonder, why don't we have like a seniors ministry? Why don't we have like a college ministry? Why don't we have all these different age group ministries after we get out of high school? Well, it's because the reality is you're all adults. And you're going to get into an age-appropriate group, likely, in a 110 group. And then that's your connection. And as a group, you do mission together. So think of it this way. In our group, let's say somebody on, in our group has a kid playing Little League Baseball. And we find out, man, there's a whole lot of families there that don't know Jesus. How could we connect with Joe and go to, to, into his world and, and, and do mission together? Well, then we go and we go, hey, how about if we just buy a ton of ice cream a ton of cookies, and we go hang out and come watch Little Joe's game. And then we can interact, and people will be asking questions like, what's all the ice cream for? Oh, it's from my church. Do you go to church? No. No, it opens opportunities then to show God's love to people. And we want each group to be on mission together, to find opportunities to do mission together. And that includes serving around the church, but it also includes doing a whole lot more outside of the church. How are you getting connected and serving? And the other thing with this, uh, I'm going to be giving a lot more of my time. Dan's going to be helping with this as well, uh, providing more training and pouring more resources into those who lead our 110 groups and helping them. Um, The reality is the best thing, the healthy thing, I believe, is for our church when crisis hits you, that your first call isn't necessarily always, it's fine if it's to me. That's great. I'm, I'm glad don't hear that, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear from you, but how much greater would it be if you had a whole network of friends where you forgot about me for a week? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That would mean you're connected and you're growing. It's a weird thing to hear the pastor say, isn't it? But it's true. Get plugged into a 110 group. And here's the other thing. I know that some of you maybe are sitting there, you're going, eh, my 110 group doesn't feel like that. I've been to small groups and it's just kind of, I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable sharing. Maybe you're the one God would call to open that up a little more. And you'd begin sharing a little more. And you would serve in that way in your group. And minister to them. And lead in that way. Right? But we want to see, ideally, I would love to see everyone connected in a group that's studying God's word. That's supporting one another. Sharing life together and doing mission together. Imagine the impact that would have if... You see all these small groups of people, something's happening in our community, and people, everybody keeps finding out, oh, tied back to that church in the cornfields. What's going on? What's Jesus? Wouldn't that be great? The other thing going on for adults as well is uh, beginning September 17th, Doctrine Wednesdays. I couldn't come up with a better name, and nobody gave me a better one, so we're just sticking with that for now. 
But, but every third Wednesday of the month, we're inviting in other pastors, other professors from Grace Seminary and other places to come and teach deeply on a, a specific topic of doctrine. And so the initial one here in a couple of weeks is on uh, the reliability of Scripture. Rock LeJoy, Dr. Rock LeJoy is coming from Grace Theological Seminary. He's, he's going to be teaching on how do you know God's Word is true? How do I know nobody changed it over time? How, do, how can I really trust it, Josh? How, how do I... How do I trust it? He's going to explain all those things, and there'll be opportunity for you to ask questions. Uh, furthermore, we're going to post all of these on, online in video, and you can come back to them over time if you have other questions. Um, the other thing that's going to start happening this fall is seminar weekends. The first, the first uh, weekend of November, mark your calendars. I just, I just want to encourage you to be here, and, and feel free to invite others. But that Saturday from 4 to 7 that evening... Uh, we're going to have uh, Bob and uh, Gene Blonick. They're, uh, he's a pastor at an evangelical free church in Indianapolis. And uh, they're going to come teach on spiritual gifts and how you can get plugged into ministry. And, and it'll incorporate some of your personality, those sorts of things. And then he'll be around to teach as well on Sunday morning, that next morning. And uh, we're going to be doing that more frequently. It's, it's good to hear more voices. It's good for you to hear more voices than me. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I want you to grow deep and not be reliant on Josh, right? Um, other things going on this fall, though, um, we're heading back to India in November. Uh, there still may be a possibility for some to join us. If I need to know today if you're serious about it. Uh, specifically, we need some men to go and to preach. So uh, talk to me if you're interested. If not, there'll be more opportunities in the future. Um, and then finally... Uh, Usually whenever I do something like this, I always end by saying this. No sacred cows, right? We want to see more people plugged into ministry. We want to do things different, but that ties right into India. Because in India, one of the things, if you have the opportunity to go someday, that you'll see there is uh, literally cows that just wander wherever they want to go. Because in Hinduism, there's this misunderstanding that, that God is, that, that those animals are, are divine in some way. And you don't want to disturb them. You don't want to mess with them. And they worship them. And so you would never kill one. You just let it do whatever it wants. They sit alongside the road. They wander through the streets. And yet at the same time, there's people starving in India who could use a good steak meal. And that sounds really, really weird, doesn't it? But it's true. And so this idea of no sacred cows is we're not going to hold on to something that, okay, some people like it, but what's it really doing to advance the kingdom when if we, if we remove this, get this out of the way, look at what might happen. Look at what God might do if we just say we're going to hold on to the gospel tightly and everything else like this. Amen? So with that, um, Again, thanks for everything in the weeks I was gone. Thanks uh, for your ministry at our church and being part of it. We're excited for the fall. I hope you are as well. Let me pray. We'll take our offering. Lucas will come and lead us as we close, and uh, we'll call it a morning. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and uh, thank you for our grace, your grace to us. Um, Father, I, I look forward to this year of ministry. We've, we've been through a, a lot of changes over the years, and um, it, it's a good thing. As we grow, we change. And as you give us new opportunities for ministry, we would be wise to follow where you're leading. So um, thanks for the change that's coming. I know it can be hard at times for some, but at the same time, uh, Jesus, we believe this is the direction you're leading us. And we look forward to seeing the fruit that you would bring because of the changes. 
I pray, Father, that as uh, to use even the metaphor you use, Jesus, in the message this morning, of as we, we kind of open up a new wineskin and as the gospel's poured into it and fills and expands it that, it, that it would reach many, many lives with the gospel of Jesus. That, that many young children would come to faith at a young age and grow to be strong in their faith and their knowledge of you. And, and, and even Jesus, as you preached this morning uh, in your word uh, to the Pharisees to enjoy the bridegroom, that, that they would have fun and enjoy who you are so that they would have a lifetime of joy in your grace. Pray for our students as they launch this weekend that uh, you would do uh, great work in and through them and in our schools. I pray for those who teach there as well and impact young lives. Uh, thank you for them, and uh, we pray your grace on them. And I pray, too, just for our church as a whole. Father, we're a very unique church in the range of ages and families that we have. Uh, it, it's it's it's. It's really unique, as I talk to other pastors and other people, to see uh, the multi-generation families in our church. And uh, that comes with great blessing and also a lot of challenges as well as we do ministry. So I pray for each one that you might nudge them to connect into a 110 group. I pray you'd raise up more leaders to lead those groups. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would use those groups to shape us and change us and make us more like Jesus. Father, we love you only because you loved us first. So thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.